It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now, it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. The Adam Ritz Show is with Delta Kappa Epsilon. Salon, the national convention with Deeks, and we are broadcasting in front of this live studio audience. All right, thank you so much. That is uh, some warm love from the Deeks. Uh, Delta Kappa Epsilon, and uh, we're honored to be here with you gentlemen uh, with your national convention, and we are here to promote your community service, your philanthropy, college kids, fraternity guys, they get involved with their communities and raise money and awareness for great causes, and we welcome to the show now Parker. Uh, Parker, what's your last name? Lawson. Parker Lawson, and what's your campus? Center College in Danville, Kentucky. Center College, uh, Danville, Kentucky. Beautiful campus. That's actually where we are today, um, Center College. Um, and you are an undergrad still, or are you Correct. part of the national staff? Correct, undergraduate. Undergrad now? Senior. Okay, senior. So, uh, real quick, how, how have you liked college? It's been an amazing experience so far. I've traveled the world and uh, met some amazing guys, and can't wait for senior year. Okay, traveled the world. I need some more details. Uh, I just spent the last five months uh, outside of Barcelona, Spain, studying abroad. Uh, and I was just working on my major, and I've also been to Israel and Palestine and Costa Rica. Man, I want to go back to college. I spent five years in West Lafayette, Indiana, at Purdue. I wish we would have gone overseas for one of those semesters. Do you uh, uh, advise every student to tackle that? I think it's a great experience. It not only helps your, uh, you know, your development as a college student, but your, your personal development as well. So there's the professional aspect, and then you just learn how to live on your own when you're in a completely different context, especially if there's a different language that you're working on or maybe not familiar with. Uh, you grow up fast when you're in another country. You speak Spanish? I do. No kidding. Did you speak it well before you went? Or you, you just being there for five months after a month, you got it down? Yeah, a little bit of both. I've studied it for seven years, but uh, uh, there's, uh, there's no better way to learn a language than to be in the context and uh, have it all around you. You know, an hour a day, three times a week on a college campus is great, but uh, 24-7, you, you can't top it. And then the people uh, that lived there, when they met you and learned you were from America, what were some of their initial questions? Did they ask you about American football or Obama? What, were their, what was their reaction? Uh, I think they were just excited to see the United States lose in the World Cup because we're not used to losing in this country. So, uh, and then they, you know, they always like to ask questions about Obama and, and Bush. And uh, you'd be amazed at how 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 much students, especially from other countries, know about American politics. If you reverse it and you ask American students how much they know uh, about international politics, half of them can't tell you who the president of France is right now. Yeah. Uh, but I had conversations about you know the impact of the Trayvon Martin. Case case and what's going on with our health care and, and our gun reform. Uh, it's amazing to see how, how much students are learning in other countries about us and how little we're learning about them. That is an interesting point and a, a fantastic tangent we just got off about Parker's college career. Back to 
Center College now in Danville, Kentucky, with your Delta Kappa Epsilon chapter. Tell us about your community service projects. Sure. So we partner with a local organization called the Heart of Kentucky United Way. It's a philanthropic organization that administratively and financially supports other 501c3s in the community. They support 30 organizations and about 60 projects every year with financial support and administrative support. And so about three years ago, we partnered with them because there are so many great causes in our community uh, but the Heart of Kentucky United Way has the resources to support and develop these programs that um, are doing good and, uh, you know, for victims of sexual assault, to uh, immigrants from different countries, to kids who need extra help in school. And so it's a great way for us to partner with one organization who's doing great work uh, across the community in a variety of ways. So you've partnered with them, and do you have a signature event at your chapter where you build some contraption to raise money or awareness? So 30 years ago, the Deeks at Center uh, did this event called the Leapfrogathon, and they would start from this campus and leapfrog all the way to the capital in Frankfurt, which is 43.1 miles away. Uh, and, so, and so 30 years later, uh, we did it again. Uh, and we started here in the pouring rain, and the boys made it all the way to Frankfurt 12 hours later, and they were met by the governor's staff. And in the process, they raised about $3,000, uh, which is 3000 of about $20,000 that we've raised for the heart of Kentucky United Way over the last two years. Any back problems? Uh, I think they had back problems before, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's a good thing that we have a physician on, on staff here at the college. I think he was pretty busy afterwards. Well, I, I'll do call me. I'll donate to that cause. I, I look at it this way. I'd rather give you money than do that myself. I don't want to leapfrog <laughs> 42 miles. Okay, well, Parker, uh, we appreciate your hard work and your philanthropy. And uh, for all the deeks here at the National Convention, let's give yourselves one more round of applause. Thank you so much for hosting the Adam Mitch Show. Fellowship, leadership, and philanthropy. Conversations and interviews from all over America. It's the Adam Ritz Show. Doing our best to bring you interesting people from across the country to talk about social awareness and leadership. And our next guest is uh, an expert in the field of generational codes. Can't wait to find out more about that. It's Anna Leota. Hi, Anna. How are you? Great. Glad to be here. Uh, I just heard you speak at a professional athlete conference. Um, do you work with professional athletes, and how do you? Mm -hmm. I do. I actually work with the organizations that support professional athletes and helping them understand what makes each generation tick and what ticks them off. That could be how do we lead and manage them, or how do we attract them to our game, both on the surface and in the seats. Okay, so the, um, the terminology that jumped out at me when I heard you speak was generational codes. Uh, I guess tell our listeners, what is that all about? We don't know it, but we're acting and reacting based on a deep, deep resonance of our generational code. What we know is that about age 8 to 18, we're watching the world and we're observing the leaders, the icons, the events, and we're absorbing because about age seven, our brains start to make the capacity for logic. So when there's an event and there's an emotion that's paired with it, it creates an imprint. So between eight to 18, we're developing a code, generationally speaking, of how we perceive the world, what we value, who we trust, what inspires us, what motivates us. And for the rest of our life, we don't know it, but it's operating underneath, kind of like an operating system, and it's informing our actions and our reactions and our choices. Now, when did you uh, get into this professionally? Because it's fascinating about your family. 
Um, you explain your family life. You're, you're one of like 75,000 kids. Yeah, exactly. So you, you're, you've got this whole generational expertise even before you probably went to first grade. Um, but how did you, I guess, move from such a big family and again, inform me and our listeners about your family, uh, how many children there were or are, and how that, I guess, transformed into a professional career? It's true. I am one of 19 children. Not 19? 19, truly, truly. And yes, for the listeners, Catholic, for those of you doing the math at yeah. home. And uh, I grew up in a household of six generations. My dad was a GI generation, and I was a Gen Xer, or am a Gen Xer. So I really was curious how he saw the world differently than me. So it was basically a survival mechanism to start understanding what shaped his worldview and what shaped my worldview and where we conflicted. So I began studying it intensely in college and then began my consulting firm and my speaking career about 10 years later and came back to the generational understandings as a way of helping people lead and manage and motivate and sell. Well, the book is uh, called Unlocking Generational Codes. I'm sure it's available on Amazon. or Just a simple Google search can find Unlocking Generational Codes by Anna Leota. Anna is our guest. And um, the thing I find fascinating is just how people communicate um, social media or otherwise. And uh, something you were talking about in my world is uh, know your audience. So with anybody in any field, know your audience. And um, in a world of ad- advertising, know your audience. In, in your, your world, um, know your audience is a, is a generational thing. You may have to tweak how you're trying to get your message across to your end user based on what year they were born. Absolutely. It is no longer sufficient to have one message and think that it will communicate across the generations and how you present it. If you have a millennial that you're trying to communicate to, they're going to want to know how your message is hyper-customized to them to explain their experience. When it comes to nonprofits, millennials don't want to give to a nonprofit to get their name on a wall. Baby boomers did. Baby boomers wanted the status of giving to a nonprofit. Millennials want to join a movement. They want to give $5 right now on demand because their move touched and inspired. But Gen Xers want to give to the bricks and mortar of a nonprofit. They want to get underneath and say, I don't care about my name on the wall. I want to know what will establish this nonprofit being there for the future. And so they each give very differently. So if you're positioning your offer of participation by the code of the baby boomer and you're saying here's the status that you're going to get by giving it completely turns off the gen xer and the millennial thinks that you sound like the adults from charlie brown's world wah, 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 mm-hmm. wah, wah, wah. <laughs> so i guess just to organize it in a timeline the uh, we have baby boomers then gen xers mm-hmm. which i am as well mm-hmm. uh then millennials mm-hmm. Uh, And what's after that? What's the next generation? So the globals are the next generation after the millennials. They've been called nexters for a few years as Uh they come into their own, but now they're called the globals. And they really look at the world differently. They are completely as connected to kids around the world as they are to kids in their own school, neighborhood, city. They think of themselves as global citizens. People born, what, in 2005 or or after? Absolutely, yeah, 2005 uh, until today. And then, uh, so what do you see from your office uh, looking forward? What's that generation born in 2020? What are they going to be called? Let's name them right now and copyright it. <laughs> well, you know, you really can't name a generation until they get into their formative years because then their their essence starts to arise, and that's kind of how we understand what their name is. So you can't pre-name. Like the millennials a long time were called Gen Y because they were that was the next letter in the alphabet. But the essence of the millennial, the new energy of the uh, century, was really what coined their name. 
Well, before I let you go, um, you're active on Twitter, and it is? It's A-N-N-A-L-I-O-T-T-A, Ana Liotta, at on Twitter. <laughs> at Anna Liotta. Okay. And I apologize. I think That's I said Liotta because I'm a big Goodfellas fan. I like Ray Liotta. Go. So it's at Anna Liotta on Twitter. And before I let you go, um, you know, you speak at these conferences. You've got this book. You're uh, an expert in your field. People listen uh, to you and care about this subject, uh, how to communicate with different generations. And it seems to me like, don't be rude to this millennial generation, but they, sometimes they just don't get it. Uh, whether it's paying attention or listening. Uh, once you and I are gone and forgotten in a hundred years, um, I fear for those generations, I don't know how they're going to get along or communicate or listen or even coexist in a room. Um, I know I'm, I'm putting you in a, um, a weird spot saying, put, put on uh, your fortune teller cap and tell me what you see in the future. But, but how is this going to move a uh, hundred years from now in your field? Well, it's such a great insight because every generation thinks the generation after them has some challenges. So you're in good company to worry about the next generation and how they're going to survive. The good news is they are adapting very quickly to the reality of the world today. We grew up in a time where when you plugged in your computer, you plugged it into a wall, not to the World Wide Web. They have always had hyperconnectivity as part of their reality. So millennials and the globals don't think of face-to-face as more valuable than virtual connections. So while we say, okay, put the phone down, unplug, look me in the eye, that's a sign of respect. To them, while they're looking at their phone while talking to you, they're looking up something that answers the question that you just asked them. So for them, they're connecting as closely to you as it would be if they were just looking you in the eye and waiting till later to go pick up their phone. So it's not that they're going to not get along in the world. They're going to adapt to the world as the world is 20 years, 50 years from now. Yeah. So we're actually the ones that kind of have to adapt. And yes, there are things they learn from us as well, but there are things that they can teach us because they're mentors and they're mentees at the same time. So people in 1920, they, they were asking the same questions. How are they going to get along in That's the year right. 2000? That's right. All right, Anna. Lyota, thank you so much for your time and your wonderful insights. Again, the book is Unlocking Generational Codes. Thank you so much. And you know, there's one other area that folks can go to. That Unlocking Generational Codes is my book, but there's now an online curriculum called the Generational Institute, which is a full on-demand curriculum that people can purchase so they can bring this information in video as well as um, audio to their office, to their home, to their community. Is that a dot .com? Or? That's a dot .com, and the generationalinstitute.com. This is pretty fascinating stuff. We encourage our listeners to uh, check it out. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks so much. Great to be here. Get socially technical with The Adam Ritz Show. Facebook, Adam Ritz Show. Twitter, at Adam Ritz. It's social, technically. I'm in the Buffalo Bills training facility in Buffalo, New York. Our guest is Paul Lancaster. Hi, Paul. How are you? Fine. How are you today? I'm doing great. And, Paul, uh, you work with the Buffalo Bills as the director of player engagement. And how long have you been here with the Bills? I've uh, been here since uh, 2001. That, wow, congratulations. Uh, a little job security there. <laughs> well, uh, I've been lucky and blessed. And, Paul, what is your, uh, I guess, background uh, in sports? Um, I'm assuming former athlete since you're almost seven feet tall. Uh, <laughs> uh, what are you, about 6'7", 6'8"? 6'8". 
Uh, yeah, I uh, started off uh, at, at Navy and uh, transferred to a D2 school, Cal PA, California PA. It's a Division II school. How, I guess, um, odd is it that a former basketball player is working in, uh, you know, upper administration for an NFL team with football players? It seems to me like a lot of NFL teams employ former football players. Is that odd or is that normal? Uh, it, at the time, it was uh, kind of kind of odd, but uh, when I when I was approached about the position, uh, the the current the GM at that time, Tom Donahoe, I uh, was looking for uh, some somebody with some credentials and uh, you know, moving away from the uh, the former player aspect of the position. And uh, you know, I, I had uh, interned with a sports psychologist out of Pittsburgh that that worked with the Steelers and. Uh, got to meet Tom and, and and get to know him a little bit. And when the job opened up, he just uh, I interviewed for it and was blessed enough to get it. So player engagement. Uh, you've been here for 12 years with the Bills, and you know we work with player engagement and player development. They call it on the college level, and it's really kind of a topic that's only been around maybe 10 years at the most. A lot of colleges and pro teams, maybe within the last five years. So, uh, tell us how. I guess player development slash player engagement started for you and the Bills twelve years ago, and how it's evolved to where you are today. Well, when I when I came in, uh, there were uh, two player development directors prior to me getting here. Uh, one is uh, Jerry Butler, who is now with the uh, Denver Broncos, and uh, they kind of you know set the bar as far as what we were doing um, with the players, as far as programming is concerned, um, continuing education. Um, family assistance, and uh, just helping players deal with transition both into the league and, and out of the league. So uh, over the course of time, it, it, it has kind of transformed and, and morphed into what we now have as player engagement. And But the premise is still the same. It's all about helping the players and uh, helping them make transitions in their life. Paul Lancaster is our guest, uh, the player engagement director for the Buffalo Bills, and you mentioned uh, all the aspects that fall into that category, transitioning players both from college into the pros and from the league into their normal everyday life. So it's a lot of education, continuing education, off-the-field issues. What uh, would you say is the single most important aspect or the thing you like to work with most with these players as they transition from their football life into a normal everyday life after the league? My my favorite to work with is uh, continuing education, and and the reason being is both of my parents were educators. I really believe in, in education, and so when it comes down to that transition, it's important that players look at where they are in life, and look at where they're at, where they are educationally, and if they can go back and get into class, if they can seek their degree, it's only going to help them down the line. Absolutely. Great point. Okay, Paul Lancaster, uh, let's have some fun now with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, you've been here 12 years. What's your favorite uh, memory from being a, uh, not only a, a Bills employee um, uh, behind the scenes, but as a Bills fan on the field? I have to be real honest. I just enjoy the guys. Um, every, every day is a challenge. Every day is different. I love that about this position. And not knowing what I'm walking into on a daily basis is fantastic for me. I never get bored. All right. Thank you so much, Paul, for uh, joining us on the show. Uh, we have a lot of fun speaking with NFL franchises. I ha had a lot of fun here today with you and the Buffalo Bills. We wish you the best of luck here. Thanks a lot, Adam. I appreciate you coming through and taking care of our life skills presentation as well.
This is Scooter Christensen from the world famous Harlem Globetrotters, and you're listening to the Adam Red Show. Welcome back to the broadcast. We thank you for joining us. We continue now from Virginia. We're on the campus of Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia, and uh, we are joined now by Jill. Hi, Jill. Hi, how are you? I am doing great, and your uh, job title here on campus is? I'm the Director of Counseling, and so I'm one of the one of two therapists on campus. Oh, that's fantastic, and I know uh, I was proud to be part of your uh, kickoff for the uh, Red Flag Campaign Awareness uh, that's really going to happen all, all year long, right? We're really thrilled, and this actually we've been doing this campaign since 2008. So, Well, tell us what it is, the Red, uh, Red Flag Awareness Campaign. What is it? Well, the Red Flag Campaign actually started um, in Richmond, Virginia, and it started with the Action Alliance group there. Um, and they started this campaign with persons from throughout Virginia. They were college students, and they used the college students as consultants to help them look at what would be red flags to indicate a red flag in a relationship or with any type of sexual assault or domestic violence. So those persons who were in this, this small kind of different um, groups that they had, focus groups, they came up with what they thought red flags were in relationships and with dating violence. So it mainly focused on dating violence. And they came up with um, all sorts of slogans and slogans that persons who are my age, and you know I'm quite a bit older than the college students here, um, but what they came up with was something that would be very different. And even some of the slogans, I know the, the group, the core group that were working together, like, oh no, we're not sure how this will really fly on a college campus. Um, so they came up with those and they, they developed posters and the posters are double-sided and it's a bystander intervention program. So that the language and the lingo was actually that for college students. So they updated every several years. It's now a national program. Some of the military bases actually use the Red Flag Campaign. So it started with, I think, 16 different colleges um, in the group and um, that then they just uh, developed that. It was in 2006, 10 colleges in Virginia. And then after that, colleges throughout Virginia and throughout the country were able to take part in this campaign. And we have red flags. We put them out on our campus. Um, this year, we've put them in a lot of the athletic buildings, or, or, or all of our buildings, but um, just to kind of have students become aware of, you know, what are the red flags in their lives. As you notice, we have pins on, and the pins also denote the red flag campaign. They're made by one of our groups on campus. And Anna Hill is one of our, our president of our peer education program, and our peer educators have been really instrumental in bringing this campaign to, to campus. Okay, so we bring on Anna. A, um, what, what is your uh, course of study, and what year are you? Um, I'm a junior studying biology. Fantastic. And you are uh, feet first into this project, the uh, Red Flag Awareness Campaign. What do you do as, a, I guess, a student leader on campus with this? Well, basically, I'm organizing the events and organizing students who are working on these events to, um, as Jill said, uh, work with that bystander effect and make sure people know what these red flags are and when to say something and what resources are out there when something does happen. So have you seen uh, some success stories already on campus, situations where red flags were noticed, uh, the red flags were talked about, and uh, a relationship or a young student was saved uh, of a tragedy? Well, I don't know any uh, personal examples yet, um, but I, I mean, just before coming to this presentation, I was in another uh, student meeting where we were talking about the red flag campaign and what it was, and I met people who had no idea that they could go to Jill 
like they didn't know where Jill was on campus and I got to educate them and say you know you can you can go to Jill about anything and talk about it and you know these resources are out there if you ever need help well with the awareness with the red flags that's a great sign that there that not one story pops into your head because it's so students are aware of it and they're aware of the topics and the date healthy dating and healthy relationships and sexual assault and violence and domestic violence it, that it's it, it's on the tip of their tongue and they're not going to be a part of it so that's great that this is working definitely yeah Okay, Jill, you, uh, Jill Smeltzer is our guest from Emory and Henry College, and we're talking about the Red Flag Campaign. Uh, you said something earlier, two things. One is uh, that this is student, um, I guess, researched as uh, what better experts for this topic than the students themselves to come up with the red flags? Exactly, and I think that it's just the brainchild, too, of the Sexual Alliance um, group from, Virginia, from Richmond, Virginia, and they hired a, a media campaign group. Um, I know the audience can't see this poster, but this poster is just pretty amazing, and it's, it's pretty diverse. Uh, they look at um, all relationships, same-sex relationships. They look at opposite-sex relationships. Um, they look at healthy communication, healthy relationships, what makes up a healthy relationship. Also, um, what are some of the red flags? And they looked at jealousy, emotional abuse, victim blaming, isolation, coercion, physical and sexual abuse, and stalking. Stalking was one that they added a few years ago, too, because that's become very prevalent, especially with social media, um, especially yeah. with uh, phones. We have wonderful sponsors. I know you mentioned that earlier in the show. Um, Verizon has been a, a sponsor throughout the entire process. Um, also, we had a couple of students a few years ago who went to um, – uh, Vice President Biden's home for reception to honor persons throughout the country wow. um, who were working with uh, sexual assault prevention and domestic violence prevention. So it was not just about the Red Flag Campaign, but the Red Flag Campaign was one of the kind of um, college campus programs that was honored there. So it was really an honor for two of our students to travel to Washington um, to talk about that. And you've got some big sponsors uh, and underwriters. Verizon, you mentioned, and Macy's, I hear. Right, and um, Avon has been a sponsor, too, on the past. So there's, there's quite a few sponsors, um, and it's, it's, it's really a good group, too. Um, I know the group in Virginia, but they speak now all over the country, and people who work with the campaign in Virginia, because we're all somewhat pioneers, because some of the work that Anna and her predecessors um, with the president of the, you know, the Red Flag Campaign um, some of the examples from Emory and Henry from the past are actually in the, the book. Uh, when you become a member of the Red Flag Campaign, you get a book that's full of ideas because campuses like this show is part of uh, the launch of our campaign, but we also have a poetry reading. We've had um, awards for like the, the, a great date award where students will nominate their significant other. Um, and say, wow, this is why this person would be a wonder is a wonderful person in a relationship, and they can win an award where they can go on a fantastic date in town. Mm -hmm. um, we've also we've just had a numerous. Um, uh, we put out flags, we put out posters on campus. Um, uh, Anna, another group she's with, made the great buttons that students will wear. We'll have T-shirts that will be coming in this week. Um, so we just we do a variety of things. And it's theredflagcampaign.org exactly. for more information, theredflagcampaign.org. Uh, and the other thing you mentioned earlier I wanted to hit on is that this is a campaign based on bystander intervention. Exactly. And bystander intervention, um, a lot of uh, what we talk about is bystander behavior. And that is if you see something, say something. Say something. Uh, and I use the airport example uh, all the time. If you see a backpack at the airport with a stick of dynamite and a red wire coming out of that backpack, you're going to say something. 
you're going to tell a cop or the TSA at the airport, hey, I think there's a bomb over there. So, Great you know, analogy. there are a lot of bombs within personal relationships on exactly. college campuses. That's a wonderful analogy because you're right. I think this is to train people to notice red flags. And you ask Anna if she'd noticed anything from the campaign. And since we started the campaign and I was, you know, one of the counselors involved with the beginning of the campaign, I have noticed students coming in and saying, you know, I know we talked about the red flag, red flags in relationships. I'm thinking I'm having a red flag in a relationship. And go. so it's really, even if we have one student a year or even if it's one student every other year, but we do have students each year who come in and who say, you know, I'm really concerned, and they use that lingo so you know that's part of what they're, they're getting the information. Jill is our guest with the Red Flag Campaign uh, here at Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia. Again, the website is theredflagcampaign.org. And before I let you go, I wanted to bring up um, a story that was national, international headlines out of the state of Virginia with the lacrosse team uh, almost two years ago when the young man on the Virginia lacrosse team uh, was drunk and beat his girlfriend on the female lacrosse team. Yurdley Love was her name. She ended up dying. He's in prison right now for, I think, 35 years for um, some sort of murder charge. Uh, that is exactly what we're talking about. Did that case have anything to do with the genesis of the red flag campaign here in Virginia? Actually, I'm don't think just that case, but think cases like that in general. Um, the the Victims Alliance group, very concerned because college campuses throughout the country and looking at making sure that we educate young women and young men about sexual violence and sexual assault. So I'm not saying it's just that case, but I think cases like that. Okay, well, Jill, uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I know our listeners uh, really benefited from this, too. Again, theredflagcampaign.org with all the information. This is a top-notch campaign. You're right. They can't see the poster, but it looks beautiful. The pins are beautiful. Anna, thank you for all of your work that you do, too. And, Jill, uh, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.